Uh, we will be continuing on in Mark this morning. We've been in Mark for the last couple of months, and we will be in Mark chapter 2. And we just go on a few verses at a time until we get through, whenever that may be. Mark chapter 2. We'll start in verse 13 this morning. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Give everybody a second to find it. By the time we get through with this series on Mark, after a couple years, your Bible will just fall open to Mark (laughs) automatically. It'll know right where it's at. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. When you get it, say, got it. All right, praise the Lord. Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples, because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would just help me to preach and teach your word in a way this morning. It's going to bring glory to you, God. I pray that you forgive the sinfulness that's in my life and the things, God, that just make me unworthy of your love. God, we're all unworthy of it, but we thank you for it anyway, and we thank you for the grace to be able to come into this building today and to be able to call you our Lord and to praise you, and we thank you for our for your words, dear Lord, that we're going to uh, get to read today. And I pray that you would help me just to uh, do a good job, dear Lord, to bring all the glory to Jesus, and I pray that you hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would... Open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear today, God. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A little recap. Uh, Leading up to this in the first chapter of Mark, we begin to see Jesus doing lots of healings. He was healing physically. He was healing people of their sicknesses and diseases. Word had traveled quickly and crowds were gathering around Jesus everywhere that he would go. He couldn't even escape to deserted places. The crowds were always coming to him. And we saw at the end of chapter 1 the healing of diseases and the casting out of demons. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, Mark pointed out a couple of times speaking about Jesus coming to do his mission, that is coming to preach the message. Now, Jesus did a lot of healing, but Jesus did not come to this earth to do healing. That was not his mission, at least not physical healing. Jesus' real mission was to bring spiritual healing to all who would come to him. And so Jesus was all about preaching the gospel message. He was all about preaching the kingdom. If you remember from the beginning of Mark, Jesus said, Look, uh, the time has come, it's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I have come to proclaim it. I've come to preach it. And that's what Jesus desired to do. 
John the Baptist had come before Jesus to prepare the people to let them know the Messiah was on the way, and now Jesus was the Messiah. He had come, and he was preaching and teaching the message to the people. He was letting them know that the kingdom of God had come near. It was at hand. The kingdom was at hand because the king was at hand. Jesus is the king. Wherever the king is and his people are, there is the kingdom. And so King Jesus has arrived. King Jesus is preaching about the kingdom to get as many as will come into the kingdom. That is to follow him, to come to him for healing. Not just physical healing. There were some people, I'm sure, who came to Jesus just to be healed physically. But Jesus desired to do more than that. And so Jesus was going about preaching and teaching. He was going from place to place. He didn't stay in one place too long. He covered a lot of ground in his three-and-a-half-year ministry. And Jesus went from place to place, and he healed the people while he went, uh, but he also preached the message to the people as he went around. And that's what uh, we've seen kind of leading up to this point. If you hadn't been here the last few weeks, that's kind of uh, what we've talked about uh, in the book of Mark. Now, last week, the story we looked at, uh, we saw uh, Jesus preaching the word as he desired to do and as he did often. Uh, We saw him at a house, a place that they called home. Now, whether it was Peter's house or maybe Jesus had a home, whatever it was, it was a place that Mark referred to as home for Jesus and the disciples. And the crowds had gathered. You couldn't even get into the doorway. There were so many people around. And there was a group that had brought a man who was paralyzed. It was four men. And they ended up taking the roof off of the house to lower their paralyzed friends uh, down in for Jesus to heal. And Jesus, upon seeing this paralyzed man, said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees in the crowd saw that and they said, Look, who is this Jesus to say that he can forgive someone's sin? They said, He's speaking blasphemy. Who can, who can forgive sin but God? Now they were correct. No one can forgive sin but, but God. But they failed to realize that Jesus was God. Now, Jesus went on to heal this man, and he said, Look, what's easier to say? Uh, Get up and pick up your mat and walk. You're healed, or or, or your sins are forgiven. But Jesus said, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, pick up your mat and walk. Now, in that instance, Jesus took something physical, and he made a spiritual, spiritual connection with that to show the people that he had authority. He was showing the people, you want to know that I have authority? Well, watch this, I'm going to heal this man, but also know that I have authority to forgive sin. Now, this no doubt probably made a lot of ruffles among the Pharisees. They did not like Jesus. The Sadducees did not like Jesus. Uh, the, The scribes did not like Jesus because most of the time they did not agree with what Jesus said. Even though they did not agree with one another, they did not agree with Jesus in hardly anything, really. And so, uh, word was spreading about Jesus. There were some who loved Jesus and wanted to come to him. Perhaps some wanted to hear his message. Perhaps some just to be healed. Uh, And others, no doubt, were looking for a way to find something against him. But people were always flocking to Jesus, and Jesus was always seeking out people. Now, I know that's kind of a lengthy introduction, but I wanted to, to give everybody kind of an update. I know everybody may not have been here for the last few weeks, but that'll kind of catch you up on what we've been talking about. So, in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. 
Now, this is something that, that Mark has pointed out. This is something that he's making a point of. Now, Jesus did heal, and Mark points that out too, but he taught the people. Jesus was always teaching the people. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to understand. He wanted them to realize who God was. He wanted them to realize about the Messiah's coming. He wanted them ultimately to realize that he was the Messiah, even though he didn't make a big deal about that while he was preaching. These people who heard these messages would have no doubt realized, at least some of them, once he was uh, died on the cross and he was resurrected, they would no doubt remember the words that he had said and the things that he had taught and the example that he had given. And so here, Jesus is teaching the people as he did often. Verse 14, Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. Now, we don't have a lot of details about this event. And as we talked about at the beginning of the book of Mark, Mark is very sparse on details. He usually cuts to the point. He usually tells just the important thing and, and leaves the rest out. Not that the other parts aren't important. And we see some of those details in the other gospel accounts. But here, we don't have much information about Levi. Now, what we do know is that Levi is the same uh, dis disciple, apostle, who is referred to as Matthew. So in Luke's account, in Mark's account, we see uh, the name Levi used, uh, but in Matthew's account, uh, it has the name Matthew. Now, that's not uncommon. That's not a problem. We see throughout Scripture that sometimes uh, people have multiple names that they are known by. Simon Peter is another good example. Sometimes uh, we see Simon. It, it, it may be talking about one Simon. It may be talking about Simon Peter. Uh, we, sometimes we see Peter called Simon. Sometimes we see him called Peter. The same is true for a Levi, so no problems there. So you may hear me say a Matthew today, and I, you, you probably will. So I'll just tell you when we are talking about Levi, that is the name Matthew. It's the same person that's being talked about. Now, Jesus sees Matthew, who is a tax collector, and he tells him to follow him. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now, we can take this a couple of different ways. One, Matthew had no knowledge of Jesus, and there was something about Jesus, and when Matthew heard Jesus say, come, Matthew just got up and followed him and left everything. That's one possibility, although it seems more likely that Matthew probably knew about who Jesus was. Jesus had been ministering for a while now. We don't know exactly how long, but it is very likely that Matthew would have known about Jesus. He would have heard about Jesus and perhaps even desired to follow Jesus. So it could be that, that Matthew just left in an instant having no knowledge of Jesus, but it seems more likely that Matthew probably had knowledge of Jesus. And as Jesus came and called him, Matthew was eager to go. There was no hesitation there. Jesus said, follow, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now that's a good uh, lesson for us to, to look at. There may be some in this room today that have never followed and accepted Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, the invitation that Jesus gave to Matthew is available for you today. Jesus is telling you today, follow me. Jesus desires for you to be his. He desires for you to come under him where he can take care of you, where you can be his sheep and he can be your shepherd, where you can be healed by him. Now, Jesus desires for you to follow him today. Perhaps you have followed him or perhaps you have not, but the invitation is open. 
It would be wise for us to listen and heed the words of Jesus. And when he calls us for us to realize who he is, he is the Son of God who has given his life for us so that we may be forgiven. And when the Son of God calls us to follow, what a beautiful thing that is that we have the opportunity to be in the grace of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus calls Levi, Matthew, to follow him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, what we don't want to miss there is the position that Matthew held. Matthew was a tax collector, or in some of your translations, it may say publican. Now, to understand uh, what a tax collector is, we need to know a little bit about the history of Rome and the Jews. The Jewish people didn't really like Rome. Now, Rome wasn't particularly harsh to the Jews, at least at this point, but Rome wanted people to follow the Roman way. Do what you say, be obedient to us, and everything's going to be okay. Well, that was a problem for the Jewish people because they desired to follow the Lord. And so uh, Rome was pretty much in control at this time of everything, uh, and there was some tension there between the Jewish people and the Roman people. Now, it is likely that Matthew was probably a Jewish person. Now, he was a tax collector, and, and much like us today, the people then uh, didn't particularly care for paying taxes, especially the Jews paying taxes to the Roman people. I don't know anybody in the world that enjoys paying taxes. That's my least favorite thing in the world is to pay taxes. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. He was not somebody that people liked, not just because they had to give him their money, but because of what that position meant. Now, these tax collectors would be people that worked for uh, the, the Roman government. In this case, Matthew, who was probably a Jew, would have been for hire by the Roman government. So what happens is these tax collectors would put in bids to the Roman government of how much money they thought they could get from their region, their area that they were going to collect taxes from. They would put in a bid, and whoever won the bid, uh, Rome would allow that person to be the tax collector of that area. And the tax collector had to bring back to Rome the amount of money that they had told Rome that they would bring them. So if they said, all right, Rome, I'm going to be able to collect $100,000 of taxes at the end of, of tax time, uh, Matthew would have had to go and present $100,000 to Rome. If he didn't come up with $100,000 from the taxpayers, he had to come up with it himself. If he was to get more than $100,000, he could keep the rest of that money in his pocket as long as Rome got what they were supposed to get. And so a lot of times the tax collectors were a little crooked. They would ask for more than was necessary. They would take a little bit for themselves, and they would turn in what they needed to to Rome. Now that caused, this caused problems for the Jewish people, especially when a Jew was the one who was collecting the taxes. So needless to say, tax collectors were not looked upon very fondly in the Jewish community. And of all the people for Jesus to call to be one of his apostles, he called a tax collector. And when he called a tax collector, it wasn't just somebody whose job was to collect taxes. There may be people that work for the IRS today. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily evil because they work for the IRS, although we may think so. But in the case of Matthew, uh, a lot of times those tax collectors were evil because they were, they were taking advantage of the people and they were essentially stealing from them. And here was Jesus, the Son of God, of all the people that he could have chosen to be one of his closest followers, and lo and behold, he chose a tax collector. 
Not only did Jesus choose a tax collector, he also chose a man later on by the name of Simon the Zealot. Now, you may have seen that phrase and not know what a zealot was, but a zealot was someone who was radically opposed to, to, the, to the system of taxpayers. They were radically opposed to the, uh, to the Roman government. They were, uh, they were extremists, uh, might be one way to put it. And of all the people that Jesus could choose, here within just a couple of chapters, we see Jesus calls, call a tax collector to be his follower, and then Jesus goes on to call Simon the Zealot to be one of his followers. Now, a zealot and a tax collector would be enemies of one another. And of all the people Jesus could choose, he chose people who were on totally different spectrums of the political system, if we can call it that. It would be like Jesus today coming and saying he's going to put some Republicans and some Democrats to be his followers. Now, I don't know which party you follow, nor do I care. It makes no difference to me. But whichever party you follow, some of you are saying, well, I just can't believe Jesus would have any of them of that party following him. And the rest of you are saying, well, I can't believe he would have people of the other uh, party following him. How can them people even claim to be Christians if they go along with that party? Now, you've heard those things. You've probably said those things because those are the things we talk about with politics. But guess what Jesus did? He didn't pick favorites. He wasn't lined up with one party or another. He was lined up with doing the will of God. Jesus didn't care about politics. Now, we may say, well, who would Jesus vote for? Well, I don't know who Jesus would vote for, but I would guess that Jesus probably wouldn't vote for anybody because Jesus didn't seem too concerned with politics. Now, maybe he would, but the Bible doesn't say any way, shape, or form that Jesus was very concerned with the political system. He was, however, concerned with doing the will of the Father. And Jesus was picking people to surround him with that would be faithful followers that he, could, that he could teach, that he could lead, that would go out and that would do his work. And here of all people, Jesus calls a sinful tax collector and then he goes on to call an extremist zealot. And Jesus had this, this group of people that was with him and it was maybe not the group of people that we would think that the Savior of the world would pick. And that is what caused problems as we see in the verses to come. Verse 15. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. Now, Jesus had a big following at this time. Now, we see the word disciples sometimes in Scripture. Sometimes it may refer to just the, the 12 that were his core group. Sometimes they're referred to as apostles. Uh, but, but, but sometimes it refers to all those who are followers of Jesus. All in this room who are followers of Jesus are disciples. All in this world who are followers of Jesus are disciples. Jesus uh, gives what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. Uh, go in and make all the, all the world disciples. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus tells uh, his apostles, the, the twelve, those who are following him. And so Jesus at this point had a lot of disciples. He had a lot of people who were following him. Now he had some that didn't like him. We know that already, that the Pharisees and some of those people did not like Jesus. But he no doubt had many disciples who had been healed by him and perhaps followed him, who had heard the message and followed him. Jesus had many disciples that were with him as he was at Levi's house reclining at the table with tax collectors and sinners. Now this was a big problem for the Pharisees of the day, for the Sadducees of the day. 
Because here was Jesus, the Messiah. He should be coming to reign as king of kings, to sit on the throne, to rule with an iron fist, to take care of Rome that the Jews didn't like, uh, to, to, to bring Jerusalem back to the, uh, to the place it should be, to make it be the central of everything where Jesus would reign as king. He would be over everything and he would abolish all those evil people, all those sinners. And lo and behold, that's not at all what Jesus was doing. Instead, here is the Son of God, and He's sitting at a table with the worst of the worst people. He's sitting there with the tax collectors, with the thieves. He's sitting there with the other sinners. And He's reclining and He's eating a meal with them. Now that blew the minds of some of these Pharisees and all of these religious people of the day. Now some of the religious people of the day probably rightly understood God's Word, but when we talk of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not rightly understand God's Word, and it appalled them that Jesus would sit and dine with tax collectors and sinners, as we see in verse 16. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now what they were really saying there is how dare he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Uh, why does he eat with them? How dare he eat with people who are sinners and tax collectors? Who does this man think he is? He's going around and he's preaching all these things. Uh, he, he's saying all these things. He's healing people. He's already claimed to be able to forgive sins here a few verses before. Who does he think he is that he should go and interact with sinners and tax collectors? In verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were saying. He knew what was going through their minds, and he knew what was in their heart, and he does for you and I too. And Jesus said, Look, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Now, Jesus was making a, a physical illustration here to make a spiritual point. We've talked about that a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Jesus is using something physical that they can wrap their head around, and he's, he's applying it in a spiritual way. Now, he wasn't saying that these people who he was eating with had colds and flus and things like that. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that they were sick, but not in a physical sense. He was saying that they were sick in a spiritual sense. That is, they were sinners and they needed to be healed. And therefore, Jesus said, this is what I came for. This is what I have come to do. I have come to heal those who need healing. He then goes on to say, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, uh, that verse there at the end of that could be taken a couple of different ways. Jesus could be saying, I didn't come to call those who were self-righteous, that is, those who are, think they're righteous and are not, because they're not going to listen to me anyway. That could be what Jesus meant there. And after all, that would have definitely fit with the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you were to ask them if they were righteous, they would have told you they were the most righteous because they did everything. They followed every letter of the law. They even added things to the law. And they had an iron fist that they enforced that everybody else would do those things too. And if you were to ask them, they would say that they were righteous. And Jesus could be saying, I didn't come to call you who think you're righteous but aren't really. 
I came to call sinners. Now that could be what Jesus is saying, or he could be saying, I didn't come to call the righteous. That, are, uh, that is, there are already some who are following the Lord faithfully. Uh, not that they are righteous in anything that they have done. There are no doubt many before this point who had been faithful to the Lord. Perhaps Jesus is saying there are already some who are following me. There are already some who are listening. There are already some who are faithful to the Lord. And I didn't come to call them. Uh, they already know. They see what's going on. They see what I'm doing. And they're able to understand and discern that I am the Messiah. And so I didn't come for them. I came for the sinners. That's a couple of ways that we may uh, could take that verse. And both would be true. Uh, we don't want to be those who fall into that trap of self-righteousness. That's one of my biggest fears for churches today is that we are like modern-day Pharisees. That's my biggest fear that people live their whole life and they grow up in church and they grow up with the Bible just like the Pharisees did. They would have been able to quote you scriptures. They dress really nice. They say really long prayers. They say all the right things. They say, God bless you. They say, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, they, they condemn other people that don't line up with what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And all of these things are what the Pharisees did. And my biggest concern is that there are lots of people sitting in churches that are the same way today. They are going through the motions, they look the part, they have fooled everyone else, and they may have even fooled themselves, but they've never trusted in Jesus Christ. They've only trusted in religion. They do all the things that religious people do, but religion does not save us. Now, if you are a Christian, you are going to be religious, but just because you are religious does not mean that you are a Christian. Now, the Pharisees would have considered themselves to be very religious people, and they would have even said that they were righteous people. But they never listened to Jesus. They never accepted Jesus. They never followed Jesus. They never cared what he had to say because it rubbed them the wrong way. Because in their mind, what it meant to be a follower of God was to check a bunch of boxes and to follow a bunch of traditions. And when Jesus came onto the scene, he shattered all everything that they had done. He began to say things and begin to do things that just were appalling to them. He would preach against their traditions, and they did not like it one bit. And so they were constantly looking for a way to kill Jesus because they would have rather lived in their self-righteousness and in their traditions than they would have followed Jesus Christ and been made righteous by his blood. And that's one of my biggest fears for churches today. Now, I don't want anybody in this room to be in that boat. I don't want you to follow all of the, uh, the check boxes and think just because you come to church every week or just because you put money in the plate or just because you've done this, that, and the other that you are a follower of God. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You are a lost sinner. And none of these things we do are going to make us right before God. And we will wear ourselves out trying to be right before God if that is what we are trying to do, and we will never succeed. But Jesus has succeeded. He has succeeded in being right before God by shedding his blood on the cross. Jesus has succeeded in giving us the opportunity to be made righteous by his sacrifice. Jesus has succeeded. Jesus will take all of our burdens and all of our sins. We don't have to accomplish anything because Jesus has accomplished everything. 
And what a beautiful thing that is when we realize that. What a beautiful thing that is when we realize that there is nothing that we can do, that we are hopeless sinners in need of a Savior. What a beautiful thing it is when we realize that. You know what that's called? It's called Christianity. When we finally give up everything that we are trying to do on our own and we finally give in to Jesus and we humble ourselves before Him. And you know what? Jesus said, look, you're the one I came to save. The one, the one that realizes that they're a sinner. The one that realizes that they're in sin. The one that realizes that they are hopeless. The one that realizes that they're helpless. Jesus says here, that's the one I came to sin. Those are the ones who need the doctor. Those are the ones who are sick. By His stripes, we are healed. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, if you want to flip there, you can. If not, just listen carefully. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, isn't that a beautiful truth right there? Peter explains for us a verse that he quotes from Isaiah chapter 53. By his stripes we are healed. Now, I hear many people use that verse to, uh, to pray over healing of sickness, and I do believe that Jesus heals, and I don't doubt that for a second, but I believe the real core of what that verse is speaking of is not physical healing, but it's speaking of spiritual healing. And I believe that Peter explains that for us here. When he tells us this verse, Peter is not speaking of spiritual healing here, or excuse me, physical healing here. He's speaking of spiritual healing. We see that in the context of what he's saying. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. How do we die to our sins? Through Jesus Christ being nailed to, our, to a cross. That's how we are living in righteousness. It's not by what we have done or will do. It is by what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross and it is finished. And Peter is making that point here. He's talking about the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus bore our sins and then he goes on to say, You have been healed by his wounds. Peter is speaking of a spiritual healing that is taking place here. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I have a mission to do. Jesus said those who are righteous don't need a doctor, but those who are sick, those who are sinners do need a doctor. And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to everybody who has ever breathed a breath in this world. Why? Because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And what a beautiful thing Jesus did. When Jesus came, He loved people unconditionally. Jesus did not pick favorites. Jesus loved everyone. Jesus gave His life on a cross for everyone. And Jesus loves you and I. And many of the people of Jesus' day missed Him. They missed who He was. They missed what true love was. Now, we don't want to be guilty of the same thing because guess what? There are people today that miss who Jesus is, that don't give their lives to Him, that don't recognize Him as the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. There are people in this world today who have missed Him. And there are even people sitting in churches today who have missed Him. 
We look at the Pharisees and we say, well, how dare they question Jesus? How dare they question Him for eating with sinners? That's just crazy. We would never do that. Would we? Would you be willing to sit down and eat with anybody? Are there certain people that you may be opposed to eating with? Maybe certain races? Maybe certain people who commit certain sins? Oh, I'll sit and I'll eat dinner with sinners. I'll eat with gossips. I'll eat with liars. I'll eat with thieves. We eat with homosexuals. Who is it in your life? Maybe there's somebody. Maybe there's nobody. Maybe you're following the example of Jesus Christ and you love everybody equally. Or maybe, deep down in your heart, even if you really don't realize it, we are guilty of the same sins of the Pharisees. And that is, we're okay with some sins, but there are some that we consider worse than others. There are some that we shun. There are some people that we condemn on the spot. We play the role of judge and jury instead of allowing God to play that role. There are people that Jesus probably ate with that probably you and I may not would be uh, caught dead with. We say, no, I wouldn't do that. Eh. What if Jesus were alive today? Who would he eat with? Who would he hang out with? Would he line up with what we think Jesus should be? Would Jesus come into a church house like this? Would he be all dressed up? Or would he be on the streets preaching to people? Would he be doing without? Would he be suffering? Would he be hanging out with the people that you go on the other side of the street so you don't have to talk to, so you don't have to see, so you don't have to touch, so you don't have to acknowledge? Those are the ones that Jesus came to save. And you and I are no better. We like to think we are. We like to think our sin is not as bad as the other person's sin, but I've got news for you. Your sin will send you to hell just as much as any other sin. But I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ came to save your soul. Jesus Christ came to forgive you of your sins, and by giving His life on the cross, He is the doctor that we need to heal us spiritually. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But praise the Lord that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that He gives us grace that we do not deserve. And let us follow His example. Let us accept His grace. Let us be His follower. And let us live like He lived. Let us not be self-righteous. Let us, let us not get caught up in tradition. But let us get caught up in doing the will of the Father, Father and following Jesus. Let us be those who go to the people no one else will go to. Let us be those who love unconditionally just as Jesus Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this beautiful truth. And this is hard stuff, dear Lord, because we, we don't always like to look at ourselves. Because God, there are things in our heart that shouldn't be there. And we like to think of ourselves, God, sometimes a little better than maybe what we are. But God, I pray that you reveal to us the things that shouldn't be in our heart. And maybe we do have prejudices or maybe we do have hatred for certain people or certain, certain sins, dear Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us to love all people equally. Dear Lord, that we would follow your example. Dear Lord, that we wouldn't be those who were just self-righteous. Let us not think too much of ourselves and what we do and look down on others. But God, let us look to you, Lord Jesus, and humble ourselves before you to be your humble servant before others. Lord Jesus, if you can wash some dirty feet for people, God, what, what can we not do? God, you didn't just tell us what to do. 
You showed us what to do through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you help us to, to be your servant, to be your follower, dear Lord, to be your child, and to be covered by the precious blood of Jesus. God, maybe there are some in this room that are yours. And maybe today the Holy Spirit's revealed some things in their heart that shouldn't be there. Praise the Lord, dear Lord. We thank you for that. God, it's tough, and we thank you for convicting us. We don't like to be convicted. We don't like to be told we're wrong, but God, we thank you for it so that we can repent of our sins. And if there's anything that you brought on the heart today, God, I pray that they would just give it to you and repent of their sinfulness. Dear Lord, maybe there are some that's never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray today that they would do so. God, I pray that every one of us in here would realize that we're sinners. God, there are some in here who are sinners who were saved by grace, and there are others who are still uh, living in their sin, dear Lord, and I pray that they would come to Jesus today. I pray that they would come to the one who can bring healing. I pray that through your word they see who Jesus is and know, God, that Jesus calls all of us who are burdened, all of us who are dealing with sin and struggling with all the things of life, that, God, Jesus calls us to come to him. And God, let us be faithful like Matthew. If there are any in this room today that feel Jesus calling them and they feel like they need to give their life to Him, God, I pray that they would be faithful to give up their life, dear Lord, and to follow You just as Matthew did. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.